Hello, friends. Most of our guests and conversations on justice in the inner life are rooted in work that's very obviously ministry of justice and mercy, protecting the vulnerable, serving the hurting, the needy. We explore what it takes to continue in this work for a lifetime, the vision and habits that keep us vibrant and rooted deep in Christ. Today's guest comes from what would seem to be a very different field. Heijin Fujimura is the founder and managing partner of a law firm in New York City. In some ways, it's a very ordinary law firm. Their days are full of contracts and trademark issues and legal disputes. In that sense, it isn't a Christian organization as we might think of one. But I would argue that in a deeper sense, Hagen's firm represents a profoundly Christian vision for life in our hurting world. Ask any lawyer and they'll tell you, law firms are notorious for squeezing the life out of the people who work in them. Right in the middle of that kind of industry, Hagen has made her firm a place of true health and thriving very thoughtfully, intentionally caring for each person within the firm and also the clients they serve. Here's something I believe with all my heart. The necessity of thoughtful, intentional care for human souls, really the vision that this podcast series is based on, applies everywhere, in every field, every part of life. Whatever your work and wherever you are, God wants it to be a place where His grace and healing and new life are growing. That is the kingdom of God breaking forth. And as part of that, God desires for you and also for those under your leadership to receive His care in ways that will sustain you in health for a lifetime. Let's hear from Heijin Fujimura how she is living that out in a New York law firm. Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefit. Agent Fujimura, welcome to Justice in the Inner Life. Hi, Jay. Good to be here. Hey, it's great to have you here. I'm so, so excited for the folks here to get to know you better and a lot of good things to dig into. Um, we'll, be, we'll be talking about a lot of different facets of your life, but of course, one of them is that you are the founder and managing partner of a law firm in New York City. So tell us a little bit about what led you to that field in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, I am a, a lawyer by trade and training, and um, I started practicing law uh, about 18 years ago. So it's been almost two, two decades. And after graduating from law school, um, I worked at this law firm, um, getting really good training in litigation. So I did a lot of um, business-related commercial litigation. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I started my law firm, Shimen Associates Now, uh, and it's been 10 years. And this year, we're actually celebrating our 10th year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Hey, hey Jen, it, it strikes me that you have a very big, comprehensive vision of the kingdom of God. You know, I mean, of course, that's a theme that Jesus spoke about more than any other. When Christians today think about that idea of the kingdom of God, they often think about it either in mainly religious terms, like having to do with church, or if they expand it beyond that, it has to do with maybe, you know, purely justice and mercy work, like serving the poor and those sorts of things, you're describing the kingdom of God as something that has implications for every sphere of life, including how a law firm functions. Is, is that right? 
Absolutely. hundred percent. Because I figured, um, you know, if I believe that God exists and what he said is true and what he says about his kingdom now and later is true, then when we apply that to every facet of our lives, it should work. So I, uh, I wanted to apply that to my law firm as well and everything that I create or advocate. Mm-hmm. So, um, hence, Shimano Associates was birthed and we have a very different, um, looking environment, whether it's our policy or procedures or even how our office is, is created. It looks very different from others, but ultimately I wanted to create a, a space where these image bearers of God, my, my team members can come in and say every single day, it was good at the end of the day. Although, you know, of course it's hard, it's hard work. It's a long journey to seek justice and advocate for our clients. Um, whether it's through my, um, nonprofit work or my for-profit work, but at the end of the day, we can say it was fruitful and it was satisfying. Mm. You, you know, it strikes me that if, if we view the field of law as one of the places where the kingdom of God can break forth, Right, this vision that Jesus talked about—that that in a world that has been bent and twisted by sin, healing, restoration, all of those things can break forth wherever God's people align themselves with His mission. And you're saying that can happen in the field of law, which, of course, I agree with you 100%. There's both the—it seems like the the external and internal facet of that, meaning the work you're doing with clients is one expression of that. The way you serve your clients, the type of cases you take on or perhaps don't take on, the way you do that, that's a facet of it. But then there's also the facet of the internal culture of the team, the way in which you, as the one who's running the law firm, care for the members of your team, perhaps in contrast to, to many law firms that see, you know, the the the, uh, the folks working at the law firm as just cogs in the wheel, turn them in, use them, squeeze as much blood out, and then, and then turn them away. Tell us a little more about that, because I know that your firm, you really desire to make it a place where the people within the firm are well cared for and flourishing, even amidst very difficult work sometimes. We have a small, uh, small team. It's a small law firm. So of course, um, you know, same principle can apply, but the policies can look a little bit different. But, uh, what we start our day with is that, um, I mean, this is a very small step, but it's so doable and it's very human, which is, uh, we come into the office and everyone, um, greets everybody without eye contact. So we go, uh, from a desk to desk to office to office to say, good morning simply, but having that eye contact and making sure that everyone, um, in the office is actually doing fine or cause you can tell so much from just getting those eyes lock right to wow. each other. Yes. So, and I think that's a really, um, humane way of starting a day, like recognizing that you're here and I'm here and we're here together and just asking, asking, asking simple questions like, how are you? Or do you need anything? You know, etc. I mean, it could be so many different ways, but having that kind of morning greeting is part of our culture. Hmm. So everyone does that in the office. Nobody goes straight into the into the computer and then start working. So, Hajin, I love it that you started with this, okay? Because most people, when they're talking and thinking about caring well for a staff and creating, you know, uh, an environment where people are thriving, they they immediately would jump to vacation policy, you know, and some oh, we give extra <laughs> vacation days. 
but you are are starting with something that would seem very small that'd be very easy to overlook um maybe not people would think not worth mentioning but you're starting with that I- explain that a little more on that yeah because i think um it's so easy for us to just come into the office and get stuff done mm-hmm. which is important of course we all need to do that and do it excellently but to me that's given you know you come into the office and then that's what is expected of you but what this what our culture does not teach is that um I think more does not emphasize is that all that work is done through people. So I think every day we have to start in a, as a, as a daily practice, giving each other a very tangible message that I see you and I value you. And I am so glad that you are here. Mm. And, you know, we hear that like when we go to conferences, right? Like, you know, you welcome your visitors or guests, attendees, and then say that, you know, I'm so glad that you're here. And when you hear that, I mean, I get really lifted, you know, because you don't see me as uh, one of these, but you actually welcome me and you are so glad that you're, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And can we do that with everybody that you work with every single day on a daily basis? Because to me, the very fact that I woke up this morning and is breathe, I'm, I'm breathing and I'm living this day is a miracle. God didn't choose, God didn't have to choose to give me a life today, but God did. And I am so glad that every single member of my team is here mm-hmm. and working. And I want to start by acknowledging that. And by doing that, I'm actually praising God at the very same time. I love that. I love that. Well, tell us a little more about the ways in which you seek to cultivate both caring for your team and making your, you know, the cultivating the culture of your workplace. What are some of the other practices that you have begun to embed there? Yeah. Well, another thing that we do is uh, we um, have a daily lunch together. And this is not mandatory. You know, if you have other things that you need to do, um, have need to have a, a lunch with your friend or family members, that's totally okay. But whenever um, we have a, a time together, we actually eat lunch together and it's paid by the company. Um, and that's the time that we get to actually get to know each other. We have a um, lunchtime question that we ask each other, like, for example, like, what was your favorite book that you ever read? And you learn so much about the other person, not just about the favorite book itself, but um, how they grew up and what is on their mind and what they think is the most important thing in their lives and so forth. So because, um, again, we have a small team, unless we take our time, and I think it doesn't matter actually what size of your company is, because unless we take our time out of our busy schedule to get to know each other, we're never going to really get to know each other. It's mm-hmm. going to be a very superficial relationship. And but. I don't want to require our team members to take extra time out of their work to do that. So what is really a practical way for my team to spend time together and then get to know each other? There will be the lunchtime because we all have to eat and the company is happy to pay for the meal and create a space where they can actually commune together, yeah. break the bed together, well, break the bread together. Well, of course, we do all have to eat, but so often corporate culture, and even this includes many nonprofits, is hey, max efficiency means you eat at your desk, you power through, and and you are saying no. We actually, while there's certainly freedom and grace here, we're inviting everyone to set the work down for a period of time, come together, eat, and over the meal connect with one another. Absolutely, and I I've done 
eating at my desk um, over 15 minutes um, for many years before I started my law firm. Um, and and that's because, as you said, exactly, um, there are other expectations for my my supervisor, my employer. So, and I want to meet that expectation. Therefore, I'm going to maximize my time. But I think, um, you know, my law firm is a, certainly not a Christian law firm, uh, but uh, we, like my lawyers and my legal team also understand that what we are doing is, 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 um, uh, is beyond ourselves, right? So we do our best to represent our clients and advocate for our clients, but what the result is going to be, we can never predict. You know, it's not, it doesn't hundred percent reflect like the effort that we put in mm-hmm. because this world is fallen, right? We may have a judge who's not, you know, looking at the case the same way that, that I'm looking at, um, or it should be looked at. And we may have adversary who is completely unreasonable and wants to take it to the appellate level. I mean, those things we just cannot, it's out of our control. Mm-hmm. We do our best. But by taking the time to sit together and pause during the day, which seems like quote unquote waste of time. But I think by doing that, we are reminding ourselves that it's not just our effort that is going to be protecting our client. You know, there is someone, something that is bigger than us, right? So we're going to pause and then we're going to regroup afterwards. We're going to give ourselves that kind of grace. So I think that is also the message that I think my team is catching on. Mm, I love that. And of course, you know, as you described, it's not a Christian law firm in the sense that your business cards don't have crosses on them, but it's clear that the vision of Jesus Christ is permeating the firm through you, through the the culture that you're setting, through the priorities, even describing that realization that the humility that comes from saying, we will do our very best. We know we're called to do that, and yet we also know in humility that the, re- the results are ultimately out, out of our hands, right? All of these are fundamentally Christian truths that are permeating the law firm, even though it is not a, officially a, a ministry. That's right. And by God's grace, however, Jed, and this is to give all glory to God that I've handled over, I think, 500 litigation cases so far and have level- never lost. Mm. Mm. And, and then I think that's because, yeah, I mean, that's praise God for that. And, um, you know, we've done, um, a just incredibly, uh, great work through our team with our team and, um, have, um, protected a lot of our clients through that process. And so I'm really grateful mm. for that. Mm. And I think another thing that is, uh, really, you know, this one, I think takes a little bit of a courage, I think from, uh, from the employer's perspective, but, um, you know, what, what I decided to do when I started the firm is uh, that regardless of your position, you know, whether you're a partner or not, that I'm going to share the profit of the company with every single member of my company that includes assistant support staff. Um, because, you know, we talk about how, you know, it's, everything's a teamwork and that is so true for law firm as well. Like, yes, I have my lawyers were, practicing law and doing the legal work, but without our support staff who are mailing things out for us, filing things properly for us, and making sure that we get the right messages and phone calls, our work cannot cannot proceed. I mean, it's going to be so disruptive. So it is a teamwork. But when you say a teamwork and don't reflect your compensation, your sharing of the profit accordingly, 
it's really, you know, you're not considering them. You're not treating them as a team member. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, when I say you are my team and we do this as a team, I wanted to make sure that everything that we do, every policy and decisions that I make as an employer reflect that. Mm. Yes. So yes. what we do is at the end of the year, you know, we, we look at our profit and, um, you know, we give, I share that profit with everyone in the firm. So that way I'm, really treating them as a team member. Mm-hmm. Well, Hajin, one of the things I love about this is, you know, this this podcast, very often we are speaking with nonprofit leaders, people in various forms that are considered, quote unquote, you know, full-time ministry. And of course, people doing amazing work around the world. Um, but what I love about what you are explaining here is that this core vision for caring well for the people who are serving in the work we're about, whether that is, you know, uh, fighting trafficking around the world or, you know, law or some other business in the United States or delivering products or services, whatever the work we are involved in, first of all, it is part of God's vision for his kingdom, right? That his authority, his goodness, his restoration would permeate that, first of all. And then second of all, the, the as part of that, caring well for the team, ensuring that they have what they need to thrive, um, you know, everything from just being greeted in the morning, feeling welcomed and loved in the place where they're working, and then having lunch together. Uh, and then in, in the context where money is being earned, if, if you're in a for-profit business, that some of that profit is shared amongst the participants. All of those things, it strikes me, it's saying to those of us who are in the nonprofit sector, hey, these principles, while they might be worked out differently, they apply everywhere. That's what the kingdom of God is. It applies into every sphere that people are serving. Yeah, and you get a, a incredible response back from your team member. So, um, this is a beautiful story that I love to share, and I'm I'm so glad that um, I get to share it actually on your podcast for the first time in terms of a podcast interview. Um, I so in 2019 we had a the, my law firm had a great year, um, best year that we had, and then come 2020 um, we had the pandemic, of course. And with that, all the courts were closed. So all our litigation cases had to um, uh, be placed on pause. So there was really no work um, at the law firm level. And, you know, we, they gave us a lot of time to do other things, which we are very grateful for. But in terms of um, um, revenue, uh, we were struggling. And most, and all of our clients are businesses or companies, business owners, um, you know, from, startups all the way to publicly traded companies. And uh, most of them are struggling as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and of course, you know, my team members understand that as well. And, um, you know, because we had a great year in 2019, I wasn't too concerned, but we didn't know how long the pandemic is going to last. So I think by, by, uh, I think like maybe May, June, July, around that time, I think we all knew that it was going to be a longer journey than mm-hmm. just a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And during that time, um, my senior attorney called me and then he said, we're all working from home. And he said, Hejin, I know this pandemic is going to might be longer than we expected. And, um, you know, we don't have a lot of cases at the moment. So if you need to, um, reduce your expenses. You can cut my salary. Mm. 
And I didn't wow. ask for it. Yeah. I didn't share that there was, you know, less revenue coming. I didn't do any of that. And he volunteered, he, he initiated that conversation. Mm. Wow. And then, so I said, I thought he uh, was concerned about, you know, his salary and I didn't know where his intention was at the moment. So I said, Oh no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. If we are fine, we're doing fine. And I thought, because I thought he was just concerned about, you know, where the company's going. Yeah, getting fired so or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're fine. You don't have to worry about it. I'll let you know if there's anything. But um, if we need to cut um, our expenses, I will be cutting my own salary and not yours. So mm. don't worry. And then in response to that, my senior attorney said, Hedgen, I know you will do that. I know you will cut your salary to so that you can pay us. And I want to share in your pain mm. because my, you know, he, he figured that because he's a senior counsel, uh, that his salary is more than others. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to share in my pain and he volunteered to tell me that. And that really led me to believe that all the kind of cultural um, policies and decisions that I've been making to build this team, to care for each team member, um, spoke to mm. our team, yeah, you yeah. know, that they got it. Yes. Yes. I love that. Hey, Jen, I'm going to, in a moment, ask if you have a, a couple other examples of specific things that you have chosen to make a part of uh, the, the, the way you run the office, you know, that, that help cultivate this further. But I, I want to just once again, loop back to the fact that you started with the way people were greeted in the morning, mm. the eye contact, the, the, the warmth and, you know, the, the, the welcome at the beginning. And it just strikes me that, again, those things are so easy to overlook. And yet it is the culture, right, that, that intangible aspect of people's relationships and interactions that in some ways is, it's like the growing soil for everything else, right? It starts with those easy to overlook things. Um, I think I think actually last year, my wife and the oldest daughter, who was visiting various universities, visited one particular university, and this university had a very intentional culture of if you're walking across the campus, it's expected, if you're a student there, it's expected that you will look in the eye of whoever's coming across your path and greet them, and if there's a door, that the student will open the door for another student or whoever's coming next, a guest, and they, my wife and daughter, when they came back, they just reported this to me as a very tangible thing. And I've looked into it since, and it was actually the president of this university who's been there for, I believe, about 30 years. From his first day, he began to prioritize things like that, believing that while certainly the big things like, you know, building buildings and tenure and all the right professors were important, that those subtle aspects of of culture uh, were really important. And, and man, it just strikes me that you're doing the same thing in a very different context, but ultimately to the same kind of fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I think I give a lot of credit to, uh, my mother, um, and, uh, and the upbringing that I had, because, um, whenever there was a, um, of course, a guest coming in, then the, you know, all the children, everybody in the house, actually, everybody in the house will go to the door and then greet that person together. And that has been just our family culture. And, but, but it's not just a guest. It's actually everybody who comes through the door. So even if it's my brother mm. who's coming back from, you know, school, I will go to the door and then greet him. 
And it's the yes. entire family yes. was doing that two for one another. And that just made, um, I think that just has been just had become part of me. That's that great. I just found yeah. it so important. Yeah. And, and so often, right, it's like, oh, they're just the people we're around every day. We overlook that. And maybe we give a special greeting to the exceptional person who comes in the door. But in fact, in Christ, we could flip that around and say the people we're around the most, the most familiar, those relationships should be the most tender, the most affectionate, uh, the most honoring of one another. I love that. Are there one or two other specific ways just in the firm that, you know, particular policies or practices that, that embody this for you? I think another thing that we do is, um, you know, we can make a decision as to uh, what like the physical space of the office should look like. Right. And I think, um, investing in the kind of the physical environment of the office is something that the, you know, the leadership will have to make a decision, right? Because it, it costs money, mm-hmm. um, essentially. So, but then I wanted to create my office with a lot of beauty because, um, what we see really affects how our brain works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we see something beautiful, Right. And something that is transcendent. When we are standing in Grand Canyon in the Central Park, you know, when we hear the birds, when we see the green, when we see flowers and when we see clear skies, there's something that opens up in us that actually leads to creativity, imagination that leads to quote unquote productivity, right? Effectiveness of ourselves. And so. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we expect our team to be creative, but don't give them the environment where their creativity can be unlocked. Mm-hmm. So um, in our office, I, so basically I turn our office into a gallery. And um, I mean, I do have access to some incredible paintings from my <laughs> yes. husband, yes. <laughs> Makoto Fujimura, mm. but we also feature five other artists. Mm in this law firm. So every single wall has some kind of beautiful painting, illustrations, calligraphy uh, that can give rest and unlock creativity for my team members. So I just find it very important that what we see physically affects our internal, inner health, our soul as well. And it speaks to us. And, and, And I think my team knows that by like me creating this kind of space and investing in it, they also, I think, understand how much I care for them because, Mm. you know, you want to create a beautiful space, for example, for your own children, right? You want to give the best for them. And that's the kind of heart that I have for my team that I want to give as much as I can, what is best for Mm. them. So that's one more expression of love. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, The dual purpose of Beauty, as you alluded to, scientific studies do empirically validate that experiencing beauty, that even higher ceilings, I know, actually, there's you know measurably more creativity when ceilings are a little higher rather than right on top of people, when there's light, when there's beauty, when there's green, all these things actually measurably stimulate creativity and other things. But you're saying underlying that is most of all the deeper message. I care about you. I love you. You're not just here to produce things for me. Uh, I care about you as a as a fellow human being and a, and a, someone who bears the image of God. Yeah, and I think you know the posture. I think I would like to have every single day is that again, it's a miracle that you and I are here, and you are God's masterpiece, and it's an honor. Mm. 
it's an honor for me to work with you. Yeah. You know, no matter what position that you, you, you have, you are, you are so valued, mm. you know? And I, I just, it, 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 yeah, it brings me to um, a place of deep, deep gratitude and humility that I get to work with these incredible people who are image bearer of God. And yeah. so I think coming from that posture, um, of course, absolutely. I want to create a space that is best for them. Yeah. And yeah. Beautiful for them. Well, and it, it, all of this, it, it strikes me that every one of the things you mentioned, and I know many of the other things you do to care for your team, there is a, a, as a follower of Christ, there is an absolute twin purpose, both of them immensely significant. First and foremost, it is that we are called to love one another. And so, this is an expression of you loving your team, regardless of anything else. If it didn't produce anything, if there was no measurable impact, that, that wouldn't matter, right? Just loving well is, is number one. But then, you can also, if you just kind of say, okay, well, we also need to please the accountants, you can say, there is a very strong, scientifically verified case that people become more fruitful and productive when they are well cared for, when they have adequate space, when they are welcomed in the morning, when they br- take a break in the middle of the day for lunch, when they feel well connected to their fellow workers, right? There's there's a, some countless studies um, that, that affirm all of those things, that there is a, a fruitfulness to that. And of course, that, that just echoes in some ways, I think, the words of Jesus, where he says, a good tree will produce good fruit. When it when a human being is thriving, uh, then good good things are going to grow out of them. They will be more creative, more resilient, more friendly, more uh, you know, more perseverant in those projects. So I, I just love the way that you express both that underlying love, which is most important, but also the fact that this does lead to very successful not just nonprofits, but law firms and schools and countless other things. Yeah. Another practice um, as an example, um, and I'm hoping that this will be helpful for the listeners, is that um, because our brain, um, when our brain gets interrupted from concentration, you know, it leads to not only, um, you know, less of a productivity, but also like damage to your, your mm-hmm. brain health. Yeah, yeah. anxiety so, um, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in order to help our team with that, um, you know, we instituted something that was doable. Um, you know, there's no way that we cannot, we cannot not have a meetings, um, every day. So, but what we have instituted is, um, a no meeting Mondays mm. and Friday afternoon. Mm. So, so we have committed ourselves to have no meetings, um, externally, internally, starting Friday afternoon, all the way through, uh, end of the day on Monday. So your focus can be on your task without interruption as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then we can schedule all the meetings, you know, the rest of the day, but you know that those days you can really focus and concentrate on your work. And that is in a way, um, it, you know, a, it can be a sacrifice, you know, from a, a team leader's perspective, because we, you know, a lot of times we want to, uh, you know, gather our team and then do the meetings whenever that I, you know, we need to, and, or we, we see it's urgent and so forth. But when we have a dedicated time like that, I know that it will lead to, um, a lot more effectiveness mm. as a team. So good. So good. Well, you know, one of the things that I would love for folks who are listening to take away, and especially those, of course, who are leading teams, running an organization, leading a business, uh, maybe you, you know, own a restaurant and you have a crew that you're running, you know, whatever it is, to, to recognize that the external work you're doing, 
whether it's you know serving the poor or serving hamburgers or you know addressing the law, whatever it is, you are the external work is immensely important, right? And and especially if you're involved in work of justice and mercy, that external work is of of uh, eternal significance, right? We can't we can't underestimate it, but all of that springs from the health of the people within the team. And so, although we absolutely, we absolutely must be a, a intentional about our external plans, a strategic plan, and you know, thinking through what are our priorities for next year, what are our goals, how are we going to measure that, all of that—that's vital. We got to do that thinking. It's all God honoring, but every bit as important as that external intentionality is this internal intentionality to say, how can I very thoughtfully care well for the team? How can I build a culture here where people do feel welcomed and loved and connected with one another? Because that that part of things is going to be the soil from which everything else grows, including the fruitfulness of that external mission. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, because we, I mean, the the work that we're doing, you know, it's the idea of, um, of a plant it not buried, right? So yes. we have this seed and then when we have a really good soil and there's a care that went into that soil, this seed that is planted is going to bear the, you know, it's become a tree and then bear the fruit in, in due time. Yes. But that caring of the soil, caring of this growth, I think it's really the responsibility mm. of the leadership. Yes, that's well said. You know, my dad, uh, among other things, he, he farms. He farms almonds, or they, as they call them in Central California, almonds. And uh, you know, <laughs> he, you know, he farms almonds, but he does not have the power to pop a single nut out of his ear. You know, like <laughs> he can, that's just, right. you know, all the effort in the world, he can't bring a single almond into the world on his own. What he can do is he can cultivate the soil and other facets. You know, he can irrigate, he can prune, those sorts of things. He can't do the thing directly. He can only do it indirectly. And what you're doing with your firm is the same kind of thing. You you know, you cannot produce the final result. But what you can do is create a soil, a, a culture, a work culture, well-cared-for team members that ultimately the Lord can then use to, to produce such wonderful fruit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as leaders... A lot of times, as you said, um, Jay, you know, we, we have to look at, of course, the, the results, you know, the, the product and the outcome. Um, and we do have to talk about that. We have to measure that. And that's also part of our responsibility. But that is something that we just naturally focus on. And then the world teaches us to focus on, right? Because we are also, in a way, evaluated and measured by that. So we, our kind of tendencies to go to that you know, go to those numbers, right? And the, the outcomes, but we tend to forget uh, that in order to get there, we also have the responsibility and also the authority to create this kind of space, right? Mm -hmm. Where our team will actually get to love what they do. Mm. And if we can start thinking about more creativity, creatively to, to, to that and focus on that and find joy, like, find it so fun that I got to create a little the better working space for my team. I got to, you know, tend the soil in a way that it's, it's, it's fun. And it, 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 it unlocks creativity, unlocks beauty, unlocks love amongst the team members that will eventually lead to a fruitfulness. Yes. So I think, you know, we, I think we have to just remind ourselves of, 
yes, that is also part of my job. And that is a really fun part of the job. Yes, yes. And, and arguably, it's the most important because that's the soil yes. from which everything else will grow. And if you're doing that well, uh, certainly, again, the, the external strategic planning, all of that thing is, those things are very important. But I, I think if the soil is good, if, if Jesus is to believe, the good trees will produce good fruit. Amen. Yes. Well, we have used a lot of our time already, but there's a couple other <laughs> things I wanted to just touch on at least briefly. Yes. You know, in addition to your kind of your day job with the, with the law firm, you're involved in a number of other things. And, and I'd love to touch on them briefly. One of them is engaging issues related to people who've been victims of, of trafficking in India uh, through Embers International. So, you know, maybe just briefly, but just tell us a little bit about that work because it, it is beautiful. Thank you. Embers International is a global organization that protects, restores, and empowers victims of injustice. And we particularly focus on victims of violence, victims of human trafficking. And what we are really focusing on is intergenerational empowerment because of the intergenerational exploitation that is happening in the brothels, red lights, and in human trafficking. So, um, the Ember's heart is really for um, those who are um, not only oppressed, but the next generation who are born into violence. So what we do is that uh, we have created this children's, children's center in the heart of a red light area in Mumbai. And uh, we have a daycare as well as educational programs for children who are born into brothels. So these are children who are second and third and fourth generation the result of human trafficking. And, but for an intervention or, um, uh, an advocacy like what Embers is doing, um, all they will know and grow up into will be the kind of violence that they have witnessed ever since they were born. And I had the, um, opportunities to go into brothel and witness the children who are born into brothels. Mm -hmm. And, um, unless they are educated, and unless there is a community that come alongside and protecting them, they will inevitably become another next generation victim of human trafficking. And what we ha what what I have seen um, also is that there are some uh, great anti trafficking organizations that rescue children who are born into brothels and and then they uh, protect them and they separate them from the brothel and educate them and then care for them. And that is an amazing work and it really it needs to be done. But what happens with that kind of program is that the children practically become an orphan mm -hmm. because they have to be separated from their mother. So we started to imagine, is there any way that we can empower both generations and perhaps three generations, grandma, mother, and the child and help them um, exit the, the life that they are in, they are trapped in and give them the kind of freedom that is sustainable by not only empowering the child, but also empowering the mother, empowering the grandmother. And they're going to all look very different, but ultimately that is going to prevent not only human trafficking for the child, for the next generations to come. It's going to also prevent orphaning the children mm. who are born into yeah, violence. Yeah. Well, you know, among many other things I appreciate so much about that, Heijin, it's that it is, 
it is it is not the quick results that, that you're after or that you're going to necessarily see, although I'm sure there are some wonderful things that happen as soon as a child experiences that love and, you know, that very moment. But it's a long-term vision as well. It is a soil vision. It's a cultivation vision, right, that that is about generations and, and the long-term. And I, I, I so appreciate the fact that you are involved in this, but you're also running this law firm in New York. And many people would say, oh, those are, you know, totally different worlds, totally different things. But for you, both of those are an expression of the kingdom of God breaking forth. One in the slums of India, where there is, you know, such vivid and obvious sin and evil, and you're, you're directly combating that and confronting it. But then in New York, it's things are, are bent and twisted as well in the field of law, and, and you're seeking to bring a, a wholeness there that has been lacking as well. Yeah, I'm very, I feel very privileged to do that. And um, I think what kind of connects both um, my legal practice, as well as the justice and mercy ministry that I'm doing in India is, um, I think, compassion. Because God sees all of them, the children that we are protecting and restoring and empowering, and my clients who are, you know, who are struggling with the broken relationships or is trying to do something new as a new endeavor. Uh, God has such compassion for all of them, mm. right? And then God has given um, my team, this law firm, me, such an opportunity to uh, be the repairer, mm. be the advisor and counselor, um, as Jesus has been for us. So I think um, when we look at all these kind of different types of people in different kind of situations, um, who are the kind of neighbors that God has brought in my life? And these are all of them are my neighbors. And, you know, one is not more important than, than others. They're all equally important from God's eyes. And I think I'm just so grateful for, um, God's sharing of his compassion for them with me. Mm, I love that. Well, there's, there's one other facet to this work of restoration in our broken world, uh, that you are very involved with, along with your husband, Mako, um, who, who is, for, for those who don't know, just a, a wonderful and very, very gifted visual artist. Um, but you are, are alongside working with him. You are the president of the Kintsugi Academy. And so, first of all, just for those who don't know, what is Kintsugi? Oh, Kintsugi is this, um, venerable art form that takes broken ceramics or pottery and instead of throwing them away which is the kind of culture that we have that once it's broken it's useless therefore we toss them but instead of tossing them we take those broken pieces and mend them to create something new out of it and in that process we use gold and turning this broken vessel into something even more beautiful and valuable than before mm -hmm. which is truly the work of the kingdom of God, right? Taking 100%. broken things and restoring. And in fact, rest restoration is actually not quite the right word, right? Because you're not just going back to the way things were, trying to, to fix it and say, oh, we're going to get back to the way things were. You are actually saying we are, by God's grace, going to create something even more beautiful than it was before it was broken. So that is the work of new creation. And as we have been the new creation, because we were all once broken. And how I see my life is that, you know, my, my life was shattered at one point. And, um, 
and it wasn't just all upset. And I'm sure I was broken here and there, chipped here and there. And then there was a, a season where I was shattered and only by God's grace that I was put together and I was created into something that I, that I, not who I was before the shatter, shattering, but someone who's after the sharing, shattering, who reflects God's image even more. But when God rebuilt me, mended me, he poured his himself to me. Mm. So I really believe that the blood of Jesus Christ that, that was shed for us is the Kintsuki gold that has been between all the broken pieces of my life. And then now I embody, I became this person who has now experienced God's grace and compassion in a way that I didn't really understand before broken. So I think our calling as Christians is that now that, you know, once you understand Kintsuki um, idea and this beautiful art form that when God said, love your neighbors, that's what it means mm. that we are to pour ourselves into the broken pieces of our neighbors and become that Kintsuki gold. Mm. And part of that, and we're not doing it alone. We're doing it together as a community. And when we do that, this person who's broken can be mended into new creation. That is so beautiful. And, and as you alluded to earlier, this is in many ways the, the heart of the theme of KFO 2022, which is planted, not buried. You know, there's so many aspects of our life. And of course, this last two years with, with COVID, but just so many different things, every deep loss, every pain, every struggle, every dream that does not come to fruition, it feels in many ways like a burial. That, that loss, the closing in of the world, feelings of shame and embarrassment, of failure, all of those things. And, but, and yet, if, if, if scripture is to be believed, that which feels like burial in Christ is always a planting. And the vision is not just that we can hope to get back what was lost, but that God has something far, far better from that. That the single seed that died and fell into the ground will, will sprout and a hundredfold will, will rise from that. And that's in so many ways what, what Kintsugi embodies as well. That, that that broken vessel, the hope isn't just to get another vessel that'll carry water again, but actually something that becomes truly an object of beauty. And Jed, you know, what else is a kind of analogous to Kintsuki when we talk about um, and by the way, I'm really looking forward to KFO conference and this idea of uh, planted and not buried. So another, another analogy is that when um, the tea masters um, who has just broken teaware, and so the Kintsuki really came out of the kind of tea tradition. And so when you have this broken teaware that has served really important people and um, the tea masters will hold on to those broken pieces and before giving it to a uh, Kintsuki master to mend it, they will actually behold the broken pieces mm. for a while. Mm. And sometimes it will be two, three generations that they behold these broken pieces wow. because it's not ready to be mended. So, you know, when we plant a seed, we don't expect the seed to become this tree and have fruit like the next day. It takes the time of beholding, but even the time of beholding is not like, it's not something, it's not like doing nothing, right? Doing mm -hmm. that time, there's a lot of care that goes into 
the soil. There's things happening in that, in that sea that God is doing. Yes. Right. And then, but then we can really hurry up and then have this kind of mass production out of the seed right away. Mm-hmm. And so even the mending process, you know, I think it really depends on who you are, what season that is. And, you know, it's all in God's sovereignty and grace, but that beholding, it may be few moments, it may be few generations, but that beholding is required before the kintsugi can be done mm. to broken pieces. Yes, yes. That is such a good word to, to, to those of us who feel that impatience, right? And perhaps that's all of us. When something has gone awry, we we feel such urgency to get it fixed right away, especially, you know, if there's people we care about, if there's a, a situation, a family that's struggling, we want to wade in and we want to get it fixed right away. And if we're working on God's timeline, sometimes that does not happen right away. Sometimes it may be a very long time. Not that he's not working behind the scenes, that he's working under the soil, that he's working within the closed-up tomb to bring life back into to, to Lazarus's body, but but we may not see that for quite some time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I feel like I I could, we could go on talking about this forever. I, I value this so much, Hajin. Let me let me ask one last question here. Uh, I just love to hear your own reflection on the question of, you know, if, if you were to go back and talk with yourself when you were just kind of early on the road, early on the road of following Christ, whether, you know, just out of law school or some, somewhere back uh, coming into adult work and, um, you know, what counsel would you give yourself? Would there be any particular bit of advice you would give? That's a great question, Jed. And, um, you know, reflecting on my time right after law school, and that was, I, I think, the, probably the toughest time of my whole life. Mm-hmm. That's when God really um, um, started mending me into Kintsuki uh, vessel um, after being broken. But at the same time, Jed, that was the sweetest time of my life. Mm. And I can say that because I was so broken and I was, I felt so lost. And I felt very, very hurt that I couldn't do anything but to pray. Mm. And I remember uh, during that season, um, I sat down to pray at a time, two, three hours. And I did that multiple times a day. And because I just had to go to God. Mm. And um, this is actually a quite funny story. Um, you know, I went, um, it was a during winter time. I went to this empty church with my mom and a pastor. So it was just three of us and it's early in the morning and we started praying and about hour, hour and a half later, my mom and my pastor were done praying and I was still praying. I was not done. And because I was so broken that I cried a lot and I was ready for it. So I brought tissue box and I <laughs> tissue box and then I just fill my pocket with all these tissues and um I used up all my tissue and I had to like take off my jacket because I was getting so uh warm um it's, it's cold winter day but because I've been praying now for two hours into three hours wow. and I'm crying and I'm like sweating and I'm just like wrestling with God and I ran out of tissues and, you know, tears are okay. You can just let it flow, but on your face, but you got to blow your nose. 
because otherwise you cannot breathe. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have any more tissue to blow my nose. And I had already used the sleeves and my shirt. So it's all wet. There's not a single dry part of my shirt. So what I had to do was I take, I took off my socks and blow my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might sound gross. I was a very resourceful, and, I think. Yeah. Yes. Very resourceful. And, uh, <laughs> but that's how much I wrestled with God during that time. Mm. But because of that, I spent so much time alone with God. And as an extrovert who is Enneagram eight with the seven wing, I'm like out there all the time mm. and being with people. But God allowed the time to be for me to be alone with him. Mm. And I will never trade that time with anything else because it was the sweetest, sweetest time that I heard from him. I spent time with him. I got to know him better and he just embraced me. Oh. So if I were to go back to that time, I think um, I will just hug little Hedgen and and then remind me that, you know, when God described love, because he is love and all that I'm doing is motivated by love, whether it's my law firm, caring for my team, doing mercy work, doing kintsuki work, um, it's all motivated by love that the very first description of love is that love is patient. And I think that is the idea of beholding. Mm. That is the idea of planting and waiting mm. on the fruit. Mm. And that patience is an expression of love. So that will be for myself, for others, for the world. Um, that I'll tell her that love is patient. That is a beautiful word to end on. Thank you, Hajin. Thank you, Jed. What a rich conversation. I so value Heijin and all that she is doing. In closing up, I just want to underscore two things that I find especially significant. First, Heijin helps us see that God's truths are true everywhere. The vision we find in scripture and in wise Christian practice throughout history for what it takes for humans to thrive, it's true in every realm. It applies in law, politics, medicine, formal ministry, churches, home life, everything else. Now, the specific application and practices take different expressions, but the underlying vision is the same. When humans align our lives with God's wisdom and His truth and His provision for our care, we flourish. And when we don't, we will eventually wither. Second, Hagen reminds us that God intends for His kingdom to break forth everywhere right where we are, our workplace, neighborhood, the gym, the parking lot, the, the line at the grocery store. The kingdom of God breaks forth any place that God's good, loving purposes are fully lived out. When that happens, we see restoration and new life in minds and bodies and relationships and organizations. That is what Jesus brought about wherever he went. And we are called to do the same too, bringing that same healing and fresh life wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whether it's called formal ministry or not. And of course, the restoration will not be complete until Christ returns and makes all things new. But right here, right now, we can join with him in small daily works of new creation every day. 
That, my friends, is among the very best things we can enjoy this side of heaven. As we wrap up, I'll just mention, we would love for you to join us at the CAFO 2022 Summit, September 28th through 30 in Atlanta. And in addition to her sharing from the main stage, Hagen will be leading two workshops, one on caring well for teams, drawing from experience with the law firm, and the other with her husband, Mako Fujimura, on Kintsugi, and all that we can learn from that marvelous art form about the goodness and beauty that God can bring from broken lives. Learn more and register at kfo.org slash summit. God bless you, my friends, as you seek every day to join him in his work of restoration and new creation right where you are. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Menefit, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.